Hey, everybody. It's Frank Scapatici with the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm doing a solo episode today. Um, and it's been an interesting week. Today, uh, I've had a couple things going on personally. We got a crazy uh, week in our business. We probably have the most important week we ever had. I also got roasted on Twitter this week, which I'll talk about briefly before I get into the main topic for today. The main topic is how to not get scammed in real estate. Um, and it's top of mind to me. I actually do know of a few people over the last couple of months that I used to look up to and follow along um, quite religiously that actually have turned out to be uh, scammers. I'm not going to name anybody. So if, if that's uh, if that piques your interest and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to see who it is. I'm not going to name them, but I'm going to talk about common themes I see and uh, how to avoid getting scammed yourself and what scams I see out there. Um, before I get into that, I'm going to talk about my week. Uh, we... Uh, <laughs> We're closing on our largest deal ever on Friday. It's a storage facility just south of four million bucks. Um, it's a private equity deal. We syndicated it. All of our investor money is in our bank account. The appraisal supposedly came back good yesterday, and we're rushing to close because the seller is trying to uh, fund another transaction next week on Tuesday. So we're trying to scramble to get all this stuff done. And um, I feel very, very blessed, but also, to be honest, very, very stressed because. Um, I'm just kind of waiting to see if anything needs my attention to get this thing across the finish line. So I'm kind of just like in wait and see mode, um, hoping we get this thing done. So all good news, but um, a little bit of stress. Uh, another update, um, I made a tweet on Twitter yesterday about marriage and I made a comment. Um, I was working out and I was, I guess, full of testosterone. And I, I guess I have a pretty aggressive view about marriage. Like um, my opinion is that uh, like it's on me to um, perform at a certain level. And if I'm not to try to work to get better, right? Like, I know that sounds um, like a sports team, but that's kind of how I look at the world, right? Like I look at my role in my family as um, a business owner, part provider, father and husband, and those have all have different roles underneath that. And I feel like it's my job to try to be really, really good at those things. Now, let's say I get sick or something happens to me. Maybe I have a family member pass away. I go through some adversity. I think there's the expectation that your spouse obviously comes to pick you up, but I, I'm a firm believer that I also owe it to my spouse to work really hard. And if I don't do that, like, I believe my spouse can, should leave me, right? Like that's, that's my voice, my uh, opinion on marriage. Some people don't agree, which is fine. I posted something about that on Twitter yesterday, probably in a, a way that was too aggressive and I went viral and I had, <laughs> I had to shut it down because I got so much nasty, um, comments and direct messages. And I was on track to have a ton of impressions. I don't know where it would have landed, but I had 20 plus notifications every like 10 minutes or so for a period. Then I shut it down. And um, I'm taking a break from Twitter for the week because uh started messing with my mind a little bit. So anyway, um, I'm just sharing uh, my personal journey here. And I, I learned a lesson, um, which is one, um, if you talk about controversial topics, like that's what can happen. Like you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I'm not trying to have a provocateur uh, Twitter account, but I made a provocative text and uh, it's not what I wanted, but that's what I got. And it's probably what I deserved. So shouldn't have done that. And then two, um, I realized that my primary job is to be a real estate operator. I don't want to be a guru and um, I shouldn't do guru stuff because when I got all these messages that occupy my time and my brain power, and I got to focus on running operations for my storage company. So I have a little bit of regret there is what it is. Um, so that's what's going on. Okay. Topic for today, scammers. I, uh, like I mentioned before, 
um, two people right off top of mind um, in the last four months, I found out were scammers that I followed on Instagram, followed on Twitter. And I was really, really disappointed when I heard about this. And then uh, I found out about a year ago, one of my other mentors was also somewhat of a scam artist. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's scammers all over the place in real estate. And I'm going to start talking about some of the things I've seen in the last couple of years um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically dealing with a scammer, but it means you start to be on high alert. First, I'll talk about real estate transactions. So how do you identify someone who's doing a scam when you're actually buying a property or maybe selling a property? So like wholesalers, sellers, whatever. How do you, what, what type of scams do you see there? And these are very, very straightforward. So I'll cover them briefly. Um, wholesalers who cannot provide a purchase agreement. Some wholesalers don't want to share the purchase agreement or some will always redact the price because they don't want you to know what their, their cut's going to be depending on your purchase price. But, but wholesalers who can't provide any information at all about the original purchase agreement or share what title company is working on that purchase agreement, big, big red flag. That to me indicates that that person is daisy chaining and they're not working in collaboration with the original person who locked up the deal. So that is very, very fragile um, from a, a deal closing perspective. So I would avoid that if you can. Another thing, um, and this is I don't, this probably extends outside of real estate, but if you're doing a real estate transaction and you're actually trying to purchase a property, avoid wiring money to any personal bank account. You always should default to wiring money to an escrow account with a title company or an attorney when you're buying a property. We've had multiple sellers um, try to say, hey, no, like my lawyer has an account with me. Send your earnest money over to that account, uh, not the title. And uh, we never, ever do that. But some sellers will try to take your money and run. So be careful there. Okay, part two of how to not get scammed. Let's talk about gurus. How to how to not get scammed by a guru, um, and uh, maybe this is, I should title this like uh, suspicious guru or educator behavior, because um, it doesn't necessarily mean you won't get scammed or that they're scamming you. But here it is. One I saw this year and this really blew my mind. Um, it was a creative financing guru. It wasn't Pace Morby. I know everyone thinks of Pace Morby, um, so I'll just say that it wasn't him. But there was a creative financing guru. I have a good friend. And uh, I, I guess I would say I'm a mentor to him that was in his community. And he was trying to sell his students, his, his rentals on a, basically a, what they call a wrap or a lease options. It was both strategies he was trying to use. He had acquired homes on subject to or seller financing and was trying to lease option or, um, or seller finance on a wrap those properties to his students. And the student asked me to look at those properties and give my opinion. And I would say that this educator had convinced his students that you could pay astronomically high prices as long as you got good terms. And he was trying to sell properties to his students at, I would say, 115% ARV. Like if you comp these things, you would look at them and be like, you can't buy these, right? And they were not in uh, Tampa or Phoenix or you know a really hot market. They were in you know, Midwest, states like Ohio, like Cincinnati, places that don't appreciate a lot. So these students would have been underwater. So I was I was shocked um, to see what this educator was doing. They're basically trying to profit off of their students buying their houses. So the tagline is like, don't buy houses from your guru. They're a real estate investor. They're a shark. Like if that's what they're doing, that should be a red flag. Okay. Number two, um, I think this goes for anything, even outside of real estate, this would apply. If you're, it's, if you're paying for an expensive consulting service, let's say 10 grand or more for that service. And let's say that that service is gonna be provided over the course of maybe two to three months, right? People sell courses, they do all this stuff. 
10 grand or more. There's probably an expectation on the part of the customer that it's either going to be really, really high quality content with lots of tools and tips to move yourself forward, or it's going to be high touch, meaning you get a lot of FaceTime with the guru, maybe people in their network, whatever, right? And some of these different masterminds or groups have really, really, really big sales funnels, meaning they're doing their marketing to a really, really, really wide audience. And maybe they have lower conversion, right? So they're heavy on marketing spend, lower conversion. And some of them have less marketing, like they're less broad with their marketing, but they have higher conversion and they're higher touch in the sales process. I think people who have a really, really big sales funnel, let's say they're marketing to a hundred thousand people for a $10,000 course that over time, let's say they have success for a couple of years it becomes very easy for that guru to take their foot off the gas in terms of providing quality in their content or their teachings, because that guru becomes very wealthy. They're able to scale that company to a certain extent. And if they don't replace themselves and they've made all that money, there's a really good chance that the quality is going to drop, right? So really, really big sales funnels that allow people to kind of take their foot off the gas on their quality. Like that's what can happen. I would say like, do I trust this person? Is this person going to stay involved? Did they, did they hire someone? of great quality that's going to replace them and fill that void. Ask those questions, right? Those are important. Another red flag that I see gurus do all the time. They bring in a other gurus or other their buddies to sell you stuff in their own mastermind meetings. People will come in, they'll be selling software, they're selling their own TTP, this, that, and the other. Um, and I've seen groups where that starts to dominate. Um, it starts to dominate the meeting schedule. And you're like, this guy is definitely making a referral fee off of this person coming to speak here. So having products and services constantly sold to you is, is indicators of a money machine. And I, I'm highly suspicious that a lot of real estate gurus are doing any type of due diligence on the products and services that are being offered in those meetings, because the technology and the products and services in real estate change constantly. Like there's very few best in class software solutions in storage or single family. Like it's all evolving but they're all selling it, right? So that's that's highly suspicious to me. Um, and then my last bullet, up, it's kind of redundant with what I just said, but gurus selling software. I think there's a lot of real estate investors that are using terrible technology um, because the space is very, very fragmented. Like the real estate investment trust and the big players have custom-made softwares or they custom build on top of existing softwares to make it work for them. And then the small-time guys like myself have to use crappy solutions that are not fully integrated with everything you need. And that just is what it is. And so people are constantly trying to build their own thing, trying to improve upon the crap that already exists. But then eventually what happens is a lot of the real estate investors to start software companies realize they're not good at starting software companies because they're a real estate investor, but they're selling it to you anyway in their course, right? So anyone selling you software, that's not a full-time tech person or developer, like be suspicious of that, right? Especially if they're guru, you're, your guru. Um, so that's what I got. I, uh, I, uh, it was top of mind for me because I, uh, unfortunately got to see a few people do some sketchy stuff in the last couple months and it was top of mind. And I think, um, it'd be best if people don't fall for this stuff and that business starts to slow down because there's a lot of sharks in the water these days. That's all I got. Have a good day. Peace guys.